This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. This BFM Budget 2024 special is brought to you by Marsing. is 707. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila Ganesan and Sharad Kutin. And we are breaking down Budget 2024, which was um, unveiled just minutes ago uh, by Prime Minister, as well as Finance Minister Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim. Um, and joining us for that is Patrick Tay, who is Deal's Partner of Economics and Policy, as well as Jagdev Singh, Tax Leader, both from PwC Malaysia. Jagdev, Patrick, thank you for speaking with us today. Hello, hi. Thanks hi. for having us. Okay, simple question to start off with, maybe not so simple. How would you grade Budget 2024? Thanks for that. Yeah, so I think as a budget, um, it, it to me it seems or some some people have tweeted say it's a brave budget. Uh, to me, it's relatively boring, which is good, right? Uh, if we look at where it's really positive, is that uh, it provides the funding, right, to execute strategies and initiatives that has been announced. So in that respect, it's really positive, right? It's very consistent, right? In terms of fiscal discipline, it's also very consistent. It's brought the deficit down, right? Um, but we don't have we have yet to analyze the details around where it's brought down, etc. But uh, as a percentage GDP, so fiscal discipline, of course, it introduces the uh, fiscal responsibility act, etc. And all that. I think there are some inconsistencies and there's some areas of improvements. There's some. Uh, in my words, you know, like a lack of courage, you know, for some needed initiatives, you know, that we needed to make, etc. and all that. So basically areas of improvement, but overall, you know, like a pretty good Madani budget. Yeah, so maybe just adding on to what uh, Patrick has shared, um, I think it's actually along the very same lines as the previous uh, Madani budget uh, de- delivered by Prime Minister. And, uh, you know, he starts off by sharing some of the metrics, areas that, you know, we have done well as a country. But at the same time, also very clearly laying out the challenges that we are faced as a nation. And then moving on from there to very specific measures in terms of trying to address some of these challenges. Uh, having said that, I think it is not easy, uh, given that, uh, you know, the revenue side of the equation is fairly challenged. And uh, it is not easy to just bring in uh, new taxes, etc., to increase the revenue side of it. So I think it's a very measured uh, approach in terms of doing it. Uh, not bringing in something really new, uh, maybe providing some details on what was announced previously, uh, so not to spook people um, with, with with new things. Uh, but I think also importantly, uh, you know, some of these things uh, which were announced previously need to be implemented first before we keep on adding on to the list uh, of uh, measures, right? So it is good that, uh, you know, there are some definitive uh, timelines in terms of uh, implementing some of these measures and also some details uh, on how and when they'll be implemented as well. I wonder if I could just follow up on that with you, Patrick, about the, the, what's typically said before a budget, right? That they, one of the things that uh, was, was talked about was the global conditions, right? So the IMF uh, projections on growth, uh, global growth, for instance. Do you think that this budget reflected some of the concerns about a slowdown uh, in terms of growth globally? Yeah, uh, I think there definitely is. 
So, uh, you know, in, in the Prime Minister's own words, uh, not so much in the speech, but in the report, you know, he wants to not only raise the ceiling, but he also wants to raise the floor. And and in the speech, you know, with Memperkasakan uh, Rakyat, I think there's a concern about making sure that the uh, B40 especially, but uh, generally Malaysian uh, households are kind of, for want of a better word, insulated or you know, given some relief around uh, against the negative global headwinds. Yeah. So this year's budget has broken its own record from last year. It's $393.8 billion. Um, what does this increase tell us about the direction that Anwar wants to go in? Uh, so factually, that's correct, but it's only a 1.4% increase. You know, so uh, I, I think it's you know pretty much inflationary. You know, mm. so I don't think it signifies any change in direction. I don't think we are collecting, you know, a, a whole range of more revenues, and, and that's one of the areas where I, I'm a little bit disappointed. Where you know we we haven't implemented, but as Jagdev said earlier, you know, it may be that you know a steady as she goes approach rather than you know Im- implementing too many reforms. Right. So, so in that sense, even though yes, it's factually correct, it's a record budget increase, but it's really you know, inflationary, a bit of noise, etc. And all that. Yeah, and it's also a very typical question that's asked: is the breakdown between uh, your, your operating expenses and your development uh, expenditure within a budget? So, when you look at that, if, if the numbers are correct that I have, uh, development is about twenty-two percent, twenty-two point nine percent. How does that? fair in terms of what a country needs for a healthy budget? I think, uh, you know, if you if you look at, uh, you know, the, the budget itself, uh, there is the revenue side of things that need to be looked at before the government can uh, look at the expenditure side of things. Because at the end of the day, the deficit is a number that needs to be money, managed as well. And uh, I think there is a commitment to bring down the deficit uh, over a period of time. Hence, uh, unless we are going to find a really, uh, really new sources of revenue or expand the existing sources of revenue, it will be difficult and challenging to sort of uh, increase the level of uh, development expenditure. Uh, the operating expenditure, if you look at the breakdowns, uh, a lot of it is actually fixed. Uh, you know, govern- government emoluments, pensions, etc. All those are really fixed and it's difficult for the government to reduce those costs. And I think the, the Prime Minister also alluded to the fact that, uh, you know, the, the, the financing cost to the government has increased. So that is about 46 billion, you know, about 15% of the money uh, goes to the financing costs. So the balance then uh, goes into development expenditure. And uh, therefore, I think uh, there's a need to sort of uh, taper down the development expenditure a little bit. Uh, so it was about 99 billion last year, uh, going down to about 90 billion. Um, directionally, is that the right thing to do? I think, uh, you know, uh, more development expenditure will certainly help uh, us as a nation to sort of maybe spend more on improving our infrastructure, etc., which will then help uh, improve the living standards and also make us more attractive uh, for investments, etc. But I think the government is trying to manoeuvre uh, within this uh, very tight parameters that it has got to operate within. If, if I can just add a little bit to that as well. It's like, yes, although 99 has dropped to 90, you know, there's also signal desire, you know, quite consistent to actually increase uh, the level of private participation in development, infrastructure, in projects, etc. and all that. Uh, also, quite importantly, uh, it's also the focus on ensuring the quality of the investments, quality of the expenditure. So I think I, I'm less worried about any re- re- reduction of that order of magnitude, uh, you know, about the 10% 
fall, you know, like, because, you know, I think if we can focus on quality, we can focus on attracting private participation in domestic investments, etc. Now, looking at what was unveiled earlier, at least from what we could tell, there don't really seem to be um, as many, quote-unquote, goodies for individuals, except for civil servants and others on the government's payroll. What does this indicate in terms of the government's priorities? Well, firstly, it's not an election. So, <laughs> yeah. Not an election budget. Yes. Um, uh, there, there are, you know, like really some really interesting things in the detail uh, uh, in terms of the direction. So, for example, if I pick out just a few randomly, random ones that are important uh, for us as a country you know, to have, say, greener growth, for example. So this concept of uh, ecological fiscal transfers, the increase there by 50 million to 200 million, I think that's a good move. Uh, the increase in the number of ranges, right, from 1,000 to 2,000 to actually help patrol our wildlife and protect our natural resources. I think those are good moves because, you know, like we are a country that's heavily forested, you know, with, uh, you know, like a uh, uh, million-year-old tropical forest, etc. and all that. Uh, I think, you know, some focus on uh, flood protection. You know, like we, we, it's it's easy for us to forget now, but, you know, like about a year ago, you know, we had major floods around the East Coast, etc. and all that. So those flood protection allocations of... Uh, in the in the high twenty you know, so billions, you know, it's also very important things first put in. So maybe looking at it from uh, the individual's perspective, I'm sure you know a lot of the listeners out there will be wondering what is what is in it for them, right? Mm. Um, there is really no uh, changes as far as the tax rates are concerned. Uh, if you if you remember, uh, the the tax rate uh, reduction of two percent was announced in the previous budget. Uh, of course, it was uh, also uh, coupled with an increase in tax rates for the higher tax brackets. So I think it's an approach of trying to make it more progressive. Uh, but what I think the government has done this time around is uh, they have used the reliefs in terms of trying to achieve certain outcomes out there, right? So they have, uh, again, uh, maybe enhanced, expanded some of the reliefs, etc., hoping that people uh, it will change people's behaviour. So among others, uh, you know, there, there is a lifestyle relief. I think majority of the people claim that the two, two and a half thousand that, you know, you can, uh, you know, buy a device or a phone, etc. They have now expanded that to include uh, self-improvement courses. So if you decide to enroll in a self-improvement course, you can actually claim that as part of the two and a half thousand. Um, there's also a relief for purchase of sports equipment. Uh, it used to be 500. They're increasing that to a thousand ringgit. And uh, that now includes training as well. So it's not just buying the equipment. Uh, the medical relief, I think that's something that's quite popular. They have expanded that uh, to, they have, they have actually increased the amount from 8,000 to 10,000. Uh, that covers things like serious diseases, uh, vaccination, uh, fertility treatment, medical checkups, etc. So that's now increased to 10,000. But within that 10,000, they have also earmarked 1,000 ringgit. Uh, specifically for dental checkups and dental care. So you can see that, you know, that's the kind of, uh, you know, behavior that they're trying to drive. And maybe just two others, uh, you know, the, the, there was an incentive uh, or relief introduced for EV charging, uh, and that's been extended for another four years. And the last one, the childcare uh, relief used to be 2,400. I think they've increased that to 3,000. Uh, hopefully it will help uh, a lot more of the working women uh, to go back to work uh, sooner because, uh, you know, you, you can actually put your child in a childcare and uh, claim a high relief now. Yeah. So I think some of those uh, measures are very targeted and um, with an 
objective of achieving achieving a particular outcome. Oh, so kind of goodies anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so the one thing that perhaps jumps out of people, the service tax is going to go up from 6 to 8%. But I understand it does not cover F&B or telecommunications, um, but it will include things like logistics and brokerage. I mean, can you give us a sense of um, what this actually means and who exactly is going to be impacted by the increase in service tax? Yeah, that's, this is really interesting. I think in the run-up to the budget, uh, there was a lot of discussion, GST or no mm. GST, right? And I think the, the approach the government has decided to adopt is rather than going for GST, they are going to tweak the existing uh, service tax. So they're not touching sales tax so much, but they're going to tweak the service tax. Uh, they're going to increase the, uh, you know, the service tax rate for majority of the areas other than FMB and telecommunication from 6 to 8%. Um, you know, this this is quite uh, a, a big change, I must say, because uh, this is a transparent tax. It appears on your invoice, and every time you incur the expenditure, you will see the you know instead of six percent previously, now you will have to actually uh, pay eight percent. So I think uh, you know maybe maybe uh, they you know based on their calculations, majority of the uh, you know the B forties will be spending on food, and therefore uh, by increasing to eight percent. Hopefully, it will not really hit the B40 group. Um, the, the, the bid on logistics is an interesting one because, uh, you know, the service tax, the sales tax and the service tax by design is a, actually a single stage tax, which means that whatever costs incurred by businesses, uh, they will naturally find a way to pass it on to the consumer. And I think logistics is a big part of any value chain, including essential items like food, etc., and therefore, if you're going to impose a 6% service tax on the logistics uh, operations, uh, you will see some impact in terms of you know, uh, any of the goods that are transported, including essential items uh, and food items, etc. So, um, you know, I, I, but I don't think there's a lot of room if you want to uh, tinker around with the service tax. So this is an attempt uh, to do something, but not bring back GST. So if we look at the service tax, how much more money will it actually give the government? Um, will it do enough, for instance, to address the current fiscal deficit, which is projected to fall to 4.3% next year? Okay, very back of the envelope calculations, I think service tax generates about 15 billion of revenue for the government. So if 15 billion at 6%, uh, that means each percentage point is worth about 2.5 billion. So 2% increase uh, will give you 5 billion maximum. Uh, but that is on the basis it is for everything. But now you're excluding FMB and telecommunication. So it'll actually be a lot lesser than that. I mean, Patrick, can I since you're the economist in the room, right? Um, ultimately, when you look at the kind of long-term plans, I know this is just for a year, right? Budget just for a year. But in thinking of the long-term plans, I mean, um, how, um, how brave is this as a move? How far do they have to go to actually address the, the cause? Uh, structural issues that we have in the country. Yeah, so when you talk about structural issues, it would be helpful if we narrow it down. So since we are talking about taxes now, right, so uh, it's well known, you know, like we have a narrow tax base, right? We have very low uh, uh, rate of taxes, right, that, that we are raising, etc. and all that. So I think, you know, in that regard, you know, like I would... I'm very. I'm a hawk on this. You know, I would want. To, I would have wanted to see signaling of GST reforms. You know, instead of tinkering. You know, with a six to eight percent 
you know, it's taxes, etc., and all that. Uh, I would want to see, uh, you know, like uh, bravery to actually say, you know, like, we're going to impose, you know, like a pollution tax, you know, a carbon tax to actually accelerate our transition towards that to raise the funds um, for for um, investing in in the right sort of infrastructures. Now. Other initiatives have also been introduced uh, as a way to drive revenue. This includes the capital gains tax, specifically on the disposal of unlisted shares by companies, as well as the implementation of e-invoicing for business tax records, among others. How do you anticipate all this panning out? So uh, capital gains tax is not new. It was announced in the previous budget. Uh, They have now come out to share uh, a few more details, including the rate and the implementation timeline. Um, I think it's, it's a good starting point but it is not going to really help to generate revenue in the near term. So these are reforms that the government has to undertake in order to put us on a better base uh, moving forward. So, you know, in a couple of years' time, when you have a stable uh, regime for capital gains tax, and hopefully you expand it to cover more areas, etc., that will build a solid base of uh, revenue for the government. But I think uh, as an immediate measure, I don't think that is uh, going to bring us a lot of revenue. E-invoicing, again, is something that uh, you know, has already been announced. In fact, uh, it's already work in progress uh, for many companies. Uh, the, there's a slight deferment in terms of the date uh, of implementation, um, just by a month or two, uh, which I think is necessary because it's quite a task for some companies to come on board. Uh, But there's also some mention about getting everyone into the net by 2025 versus the longer timeline that was shared earlier. So it'd be good to see the details of that. Uh, I personally feel e-invoicing is the right way to go. Uh, It will really help to weed out the grey economy, etc. And uh, it will also put us in a strong footing if we bring back uh, GST at some point. Uh, at least the system, some of the systems will be in place uh, for us to, you know, deal with, you know, the previous issues of uh, late refunds, etc. Now, as expected, the government is increasingly moving towards a targeted approach to subsidies. What do you make of uh, the initiatives that were announced in this area? Well, the, uh, thanks. The Prime Minister did make a lot of uh, reference to it in the speech. Uh, talked about you know how our petrol prices are one of the cheapest in the region. Our neighbors are paying double what we're paying, etc., and it's costing us a lot in order to do that. Uh, however, surprisingly, he didn't touch on uh, petrol's uh, rationalization. Mm. Instead, he focused more on things like chickens and eggs, you know, where he allows the price to float up, you know, and also the diesel subsidy rationalization. Yeah, so that was surprising. Yeah, can I just follow up on that? Because I think with the egg and chicken issue, letting prices float, it really has to do with supply that somehow in capping the price of eggs, that in fact it's affected production of food. Isn't that the way the logic of his argument was? Yeah, so so actually uh, on, on that front, it's quite interesting because uh, the the and the... Uh, egg and chicken supplies, etc. And all that. We are part of a global value chain, so we are affected by that. We are also affected by you know like the shortages of eggs globally, etc. And all that kind of thing. You mentioned diesel, um, and so yes, there are plans to rationalise diesel subsidies in phases, and they've allowed it for select users like logistics companies, but not normal users. How do you see this being received by the public? 
Yeah, um, it's interesting that uh, they've decided to just focus on diesel and then there's the exclusion for, you know, all the uh, logistics and transportation services. So if, uh, I mean, if you exclude that, um, I suppose there will not be many people who will be impacted by this. If you look at, mm. you know, the, the, the public at large, uh, I think motorcycles generally don't use diesel uh, and the number of cars using diesel has also decreased over time. Uh, so I suppose uh, this is uh, really a small step in terms of, uh, you know, starting some form of uh, subsidy res- rationalization. I think the big one uh, still remains to be the RON95 uh, subsidy. And uh, that is the one that will have a larger impact. So the approach here could be to maybe test the water, to try out with something smaller, because, you know, sub- subsidy rationalization is not easy. Um, and, uh, you know, you, if you, particularly if you take away the subsidies and you want to uh, give it back uh, to the B40 and perhaps some of the M40 as well, uh, you need a very robust system uh, to sort of uh, be able to capture the data, etc. and find a way to uh, do the necessary cash transfers. So, uh, you know, starting small uh, with something that maybe has a less widespread impact uh, may be the way to go, and that's how I read it. Yes. I do want to ask you, though, and push you uh, push a little on this question of diesel, because it does mention it's it costs uh, the taxpayer about 1.5 billion uh, ringgit. And he said the difference in cost is about 60 cents. And he did mention leakages. I mean, in in talking about diesel, he talked about uh, the need for trust for the system to work. Uh, he talked about the need for enforcement and, you know, what's happening in terms of leakages. Katire uh, San, I think, is the word he kept using uh, to describe the problem. I mean, Jack Dave, what is the reality of uh, designing a system where you still have subsidies that people can game and use? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. Uh, to sort of implement something uh, partially in this space and at the same time trying to deal with the Katirisan. Uh, because, you know, uh, if you allow uh, some sectors of the economy to continue benefiting from the subsidies, uh, you're still going to allow for those kind of leakages. And I think it's quite difficult to control those levels of leakages unless you have a multi-agency uh, approach in terms of uh, trying to deal with the matter. Uh, the maybe the more pragmatic way if you are to rationalize subsidies across the board would be to get them to a market price and then find ways to do cash transfers to the uh, appropriate uh, groups uh, that is always easier because then you know any anyone who wants to smuggle uh, diesel or ron 95 or whatever will have to actually purchase it at the full price so there's no no longer incentive to do that um, but I think trying it out in a smaller way like this, uh, it, unless you're going to get a very strong level of enforcement uh, by the different uh, authorities, uh, may not quite achieve uh, the objective of trying to deal with the Katirisan. There were a number of allocations that address long-standing day-to-day concerns, things that come up actually frequently when we do shows on these topics. Mm. Uh, for instance, uh, upgrading public toilets, fixing potholes, making government services accessible in rural areas, addressing scams. Do you see um, allocations to these sorts of issues resonating with the rack yet? <laughs> Patrick, um, as a user of the Plus Highway, 
right? Whenever I have to use a public toilet, <laughs> you know, it basically I have to hold my breath for two minutes. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I think a lot of people would welcome it. But I, I think the answer is actually probably, you know, this is a good short-term fix. But the answer is, again, you know, like, you know the, through design solutions, through education, etc., and all that, you know, finding those right long-term fixes. Yeah, in I, fact, I think if I just add on to that point, right, um, you know, that, I think I, I touched earlier a little bit about, you know, again, the government looking at uh, the revenue and expenditure side of things and also whether we have enough to spend on development expenditure. If you, if you want to get to world-class infrastructure in some of these areas, you need a lot more money. That's the reality, right? Mm. And that money has to come from somewhere. So unless we do large-scale reforms to really increase the level of revenue that the government has access to, and then use that money wisely to spend on, you know, some of these infrastructure projects uh, that, you know, matter to us in our day-to-day lives, uh, it will be a challenge. And, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to tweak some of these things along. And even if you allocate extra money to some of these initiatives, like what Patrick said, uh, it will never be enough to move to world class. I do want to touch on the question of the cost of living. It's a deeply political issue uh, and drives a resentment. So there was an announcement of an increase uh, to 10 billion ringgit for cash, uh, Rama, uh, the Rama, uh, Tunai, I think it's in fact it's called. Uh, what do you make of that? Uh, will it be enough uh, when you think of it? It's, it's four tranches for the year. Patrick? Yeah, well, it's definitely better than nothing. Right? So if you are in the position of... Uh, the B40, right, you would very much welcome this. And, you know, I, being in a position of, uh, fortunately, being in a position of the T20, I would not begrudge, right, that uh, them getting that cash transfer, right. I would much rather have a program of cash transfers, you know, like, and then, you know, like uh, reduced leakages, you know, like, because those leakages only enrich people that are in the T0.5%, for example. Yeah, maybe if I if I just you know provide a slightly different perspective to that, right? Um, you know, I think I think cash transfers are very important um, because you know you have a large population that is uh, you know below the living wage, and uh, you've got you know a lot of people in the B forty and the M forty group uh, that you know struggle to meet the day to day cost of living. Um, but at the same time, I think if you unilaterally keep increasing the cash transfers people are just going to get used to it. So maybe one way is to be a little bit more targeted about the cash transfers, uh, maybe keep the current cash transfers where they are at the current levels, but you can introduce new cash transfers with specific intentions. So for example, if you're going to rationalize subsidies in a bigger way, and then you have a separate cash transfer for the target groups in terms of you know, compensating them uh, for the increase in costs, and same goes with, let's say, if you, you know, uh, at some point you implement GST, uh, you may want a specific cash transfer to, again, uh, you know, pay back the GST that you collect from some of these lower income groups. But, you know, uh, it becomes more and more challenging if the base cash transfer keeps increasing. And then at some point when you need to provide that specific top up, it will become a bit more uh, challenging. Let's talk about businesses, particularly micro, small and medium enterprises. What were some of the main takeaways for this group? 
Uh, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll start on that. Uh, you know, there, there isn't like a lot of uh, broad-based initiatives for businesses. I think uh, for the SME group, uh, it remains to be uh, trying to address some of their pain points, which is uh, trying to get financing uh, to expand their business and for some of them, uh, you know, to continue to be in business. So the, uh, the, the budget has, uh, you know, uh, allocated $44 billion in terms of some of these uh, financing uh, activities. Uh, some of the measures that are already there uh, remain. So there is the Dana Impact, I think that was uh, there previously. So they, they are allocating another $600 million, uh, towards that. Um, what is interesting is there is a digitalization grant to the SMEs. So there's a, you can claim up to 5,000 ringgit. <coughs> Uh, and the government is setting aside, you know, 100 million uh, ringgit for that. So that should, you know, be fairly broad based. Uh, about 20,000 businesses should be able to benefit uh, from that. Um, and I think uh, on a wider uh, basis, uh, they have now allowed for ICT assets to be claimed over a three-year period rather than the four years as it is uh, at this point in time. So I think these are maybe some of the uh, specific measures for businesses. We look at the the labour market side of things. The government is putting aside a uh, hundred million ringgit to incentivize private companies to aid TVET training. Mm. Now, uh, how do you, uh, impactful do you think this is going to be? Uh, I, I think very uh, strong move in the right direction. Uh, I think TVET training technical skills is absolutely critical. Uh, in this world that we're living in now. Um, Malaysia, you know, like we are blessed by being in a right ge geographic spot, right? But in order to unlock and unleash uh, the, those potential benefits, you know, like we need to have the technical skills to compete, you know, on par with the best in the world. I did want to talk about Sabah and Sarawak because a number of allocations were announced for them specifically. And the PM actually linked this to his administration's intention to honour ME63. What stood out to you and how impactful do you think these will be? So if you look at uh, the specific allocations, you know, like there was an increase. I think from Sarawak's case, I think it was a 5 billion to 5.8 billion jump. Uh, but over and above that, I, I think there were a few other interesting things. Uh so Sabah and Sarawak has always been uh, what I would call long, skinny countries. So they suffer from the tyranny of distance as well as density. Right? So they are far away uh, from the major trade route, roads, etc. and all that. So cost logistics is higher, etc. and all that. Right? So I think you know these investments in the Pan Borneo Highway, for example, and also in the Sabah-Sarawak Link Road, I think are really important uh, things that will help increase their uh, ability to connect much better. Yeah, so if we can look now at something maybe of, of interest to us in the Klang Valley and, you know, who consume entertainment, uh, the removal of entertainment tax for the federal territories is expected to happen next year with full exemptions be provided for local performers. Do you see this as a, as a major move? Uh, will it boost, uh, I think, uh, the ability to turn entertainment to a thriving business? Uh, ho hopefully, uh, as I was coming up to uh, uh, this interview, you know, I saw down there a big plastering, you know, Douglas Lim, etc., and all <laughs> yes. that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I, th I think you know, encouraging more of that, you know, like, will keep us, you know, entertained, yeah, uh, and you know, like, driving industry. But of course, you know, like, we do need to look at the ecosystem as a whole, 
uh, to actually ensure that we don't, on the one hand, try to encourage it, on the other hand, try to discourage it. Yeah, we smile and laugh through our tears. <laughs> well, I mean, they did cautiously cautiously give the budget uh, not too bad a grade so perhaps not so many tears um just uh we have a few minutes left final thoughts from each of you yeah so um you know i think i think the they have uh, it, uh overall i think the budget seems to be trying to address uh, some of the issues that we have at hand uh coming up with uh, various measures uh, within the existing constraints uh, there are some elements of, uh, you know, um, hopefully driving growth. Uh, so I think we didn't get to cover things like, uh, for example, uh, they have remodeled the tax incentives. So they are now on a very tiered approach. Uh, some of the incentives that have expired. So, for example, the global trading hub, uh, you know, that had expired, uh, they have now actually brought it back. Uh, that one has a lot of interest. And uh, we do compete uh, quite aggressively uh, with one of our neighboring countries uh, that's trying to attract a lot of these uh, global hubs. Uh, so in that sense, I think uh, there are quite a few of those, uh, you know, little pieces within the budget which are exciting. Um, but maybe, you know, if uh, the expectation was for large-scale reforms, uh, we may not really see uh, all of that in the budget. Patrick? And uh, just echoing what uh, Jack ended on, I think, you know, like uh, somebody tweeted to say that this was a brave budget. You know, like, well, I would say, you know, like it should have been a braver budget because uh, the, the challenge and the issue that we have is that, you know, like we are neither here nor there. You know, like what was saying, you know, like we're not cold, we're not hot, we're somewhere in between, right? And I think, you know, like uh, a lot of us see that as not being good enough. Uh, if I refer to a uh, publication that came out recently that says our T20's median income was 15867 right? Well, you know, what's Singapore's, you know, uh, median income, right? About 10,000 sing, right? Mm. So neither here nor there, you know, it's not good enough. You know, we want something better. So a braver budget would have been. Jagdev, Patrick, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thank you. That was Jagdev Singh, tax leader, and Patrick Tay, deals partner of economics and policy, both from PwC Malaysia, uh, helping us uh, analyse Budget 2024, which was unveiled just earlier today by Prime Minister Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim. Uh, there will be more analysis coming your way next week, so stay tuned. BFM 89.9. This BFM Budget 2024 special was brought to you by Marsing. Reinvent spaces, enhance life. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.